2: Hello, everyone. Welcome one and all to the first ever episode of Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a podcast from Rotten Tomatoes, because fresh or rotten is just the start of the conversation. Each week, we're going to dive deep and settle the score on the fresh movies you hate, the rotten shows you love, and everything in between. I'm Mark Ellis. I'm a stand-up comic and a Rotten Tomatoes correspondent.
0: And I'm Jacqueline Coley. I'm an Editor at Rotten Tomatoes, where I cover awards in
2: independent film. And sometimes, kids, I get to tag along with Jacqueline as her plus one to these festivals.
0: Yes, you do. <laughs> mark Ellis has my plus one status, which for those of you that don't know, is a mark of honor.
2: That's right. Jacqueline does all the networking and I get the free drinks at the bar. So this week we are talking Spider-Man 3, a film that many people think the critics got wrong. Uh, Jacqueline, would you care to interject here?
0: <laughs> yes. This movie is horrible. I don't understand what they were watching. I'm so confused by the score and so many things that happened during the film, which we'll get into.
2: Well, yeah, this is the movie. In case you don't remember it, and I think it's seared into everybody's neurons at this point, it's the movie where Peter Parker famously goes dark. And we're going to explore all of that, Spidey's Dark Side. But the fact that this is the lowest scoring of the three Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spidey movies, critics still gave it a passing grade, barely, of 63% fresh. But now, it's been 14 years since the movie came out. Oh, we were so young. So this franchise-ending film that gave us emo Peter Parker should have been scored much lower, according to Jacqueline, and recognized for what it is, one of the biggest comic book movie misfires ever which I think the 51% Rotten audience score is reflective of, but not all audience members hated this movie. As a matter of fact, Jacqueline, our very first guest actually thinks Rotten Tomatoes is wrong for a different reason because (laughs) according to her, the score is not high enough. I don't want to spoil the conversation just yet. So before I introduce her, can you tell us what this movie's about?
0: Yes, thank you, Mark. So, yes, Spider-Man 3, this is the third installment of the Tobey Maguire-Sam Raimi series. Of course, this is fresh off of Spider-Man defeating Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2. He's feeling himself as the city's favorite web slinger. His girl, MJ, is on Broadway. He's got new competition at his photographer job, a new girl that's in one of his classes called Gwen Stacy. And uh, that competition, Eddie Brock, might be giving him a run for his money. There's also an escaped criminal, Flynn Marco who is going to become the Sandman and Spider-Man might need to enlist the help of an alien symbiote to defeat the Sandman who he eventually finds out might be the person who killed his uncle, Ben. And that symbiote transforms our lovable Peter Parker into emo Peter Parker, complete with the greasy hair, the slick back bangs, the bad dance moves, treating MJ like crap. A generally not a dude you want to root for, but it was the choices that this movie made.
2: Take all my money, it's another Spider-Man movie. We love Tobey Maguire. Sam Raimi's been crushing it for two movies. This movie just simply cannot go wrong, at least according to 2007 Mark, who got to see this movie in Los Angeles, like I did Spider-Man 2, opening night at Arclight, Cinerama Dome, me and probably 10 of my comedian 'er ne'er-do-well buddies all had tickets. We sat right up close, and we witnessed this spectacle. The crowd's going crazy and somewhere through maybe midway some of my friends started giggling and started cracking jokes as you know idiot comedians tend to do and i was just torn as to whether this was a good movie whether this is a bad movie and 14 years on i'm still having a lot of those issues with deciding how i feel about this movie where was 2007 jack when witnessing this for the first time
0: Uh, 2007 Jacqueline was, I believe I was still in Austin. Actually, I know I was still in Austin, but I was actually about to make my little slight detour to the city of Dallas. I've mostly lived in Austin my entire adult life, but for two years I had to live in Dallas. And this was in that time period right before I moved there. So I don't think I saw this at the theater, but I do remember I was very interested in this movie. Um, And I did see it pretty quickly when it came on DVD. And the reason for that was that I was a huge fan of Topher Grace. In fact, I will go ahead and confess here that he was my, like, senior year freshman college crush. Ooh, is is, is this why we're
2: such good friends? Because I look exactly (laughs) like Topher Grace? (laughs) You
0: do. You do look like (laughs) Eric Foreman in your your best efforts. Uh, It's really weird, though, now because, like this is what happens in our industry is like, he follows me on Twitter now and I love like, I covered him during Black Klansman. And like, it, I just want to tell him, it's like, do you know how many nights I laid in bed thinking about you and wanting to be Donna? And I just, I can't say it now because it doesn't, it doesn't have that same resonance, but. You can I would, and yeah. you
2: should. That sounds like something that needs to be tweeted. So I had to have this moment where a few years after Spider-Man 3 had come out, I was in line at Chipotle. And by this point, uh, I had a little following and a lot of my fans would say I look like Topher Grace. I'm right behind the guy at Chipotle on Sunset Boulevard. I'm right behind him. And lo and behold, I'm like, okay, well, I got to get a picture with him, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. Jacqueline, we ordered the same exact burrito, barbacoa, black beans, rice, no guacamole, same kind of salsa. And so we're walking out and I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry. My fans say I look like you. I got to get a picture. And he's like, yeah, no sweat. He's like, sorry about that. And it was just funny that we're both that same kind of person where we apologize because we're not as good looking as maybe the rest of the world thinks we are. But here I am doing a podcast and not showing my face. So. So before we get into all that, we do have a segment from Tim Ryan, our review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. He's not with us in person today, but we recorded him explaining the tomato meter for everyone and as a refresher for me and telling us what the critics were saying around Spider-Man 3. So let's take a listen. It's all yours, Tim.
1: Hey everyone, the Tomato Meter is a percentage of approved critics who gave a film or TV show a positive review. If a film or TV show is sixty percent or above, it's considered fresh. If it's fifty nine percent or below, it's considered rotten. So Spider Man Three is sixty three percent on the Tomato Meter, which is fresh, but it's substantially below Spider Man at ninety percent and Spider Man Two at ninety three percent. Both of those are th- certified fresh. Um, going into Spider Man Three. I think a lot of critics were disappointed for a variety of reasons, not least the very high bar set by the first two. At the time, a lot of people thought of Spider-Man 2 as possibly the greatest superhero movie ever made. And after watching Spider-Man 3, I think there was a general consensus that while it had its moments, overall, it was a little too big, a little too loud, a little too much. Um, So let's read some of the reviews Stephanie Zacharak of Salon.com dot com had some interesting things to say. Raimi at least manages to make it both huge and human. He also pulls off one of the most beautiful special effects I've ever seen in any movie, a testament to the ways in which CGI, used right, can actually humanize a film. After Flint Marco, a criminal who's done all the wrong things for the right reasons, steps into that whirling particle physics blender, he's no longer himself. He's a mound of sand, a one-man desert, and before our eyes, he tries to reform himself into some semblance of the man he used to To be, but here's some of the rotten reviews. Anne Hornaday of the Washington Post wrote, in an apparent effort to put a stake in the heart of the franchise that threatens to define his career. Sam Raimi has delivered an overlong. Visually incoherent, mean-spirited, and often just plain awful Spider-Man 3. And finally, Sarah Michelle Fetters of MovieFreak.com wrote, Part of this are just ludicrous. There are two full-blown musical numbers, a segment that looks like it was lifted from Dancing with the Stars, and a bizarrely idiotic sequence featuring a surreal homage to, of all things, Saturday Night Fever. The overall tone of these reviews is... Definitely mixed, but certainly a tad disappointed that Spider-Man 3 didn't live up to the overall excellence of the first two films. Spider-Man 3 also has a pretty middling audience score. It's 51% among audience members. What's interesting to me is that the people who like Spider-Man 3 are sort of like, yeah, it's okay. And the people who don't like it really don't like it. So yeah, 50% right around the middle. That seems about right.
2: Thank you for that, Tim. Very enlightening as always. Someone who's going to bring a ray of positivity, I think, not only to the show, but also to the opinions of Spider-Man 3, is our very special guest. She does everything under the sun. Host, producer, actor, writer... Extraordinaire as far as the podcasting world goes. And she has her own daily show on YouTube called Live at the Roxy, which she does day in, day out, literally seven days a week. I don't know how she had time to come join us today, but Roxy, you're the hardest working person in showbiz. Thank you so much. Roxy Stryer's here. And you love Spider-Man 3, is that correct?
3: Oh my God, do I love this movie. Yes, I am here and I'd rather be nowhere else than talking about Spider-Man 3 with you guys today. Maybe I can even get you guys on my side of the web-slinging fence.
2: It's open. It's I, I am open for business. I have my thoughts on the movie and I have some strong opinions that I'll share later, but I could be swayed either way. So. Before we get into our thoughts about the movie, Roxy, back in 2007, I'm sure you were just a zygote somewhere, maybe not even old enough to get into a movie like Spider-Man 3.
3: Little Rocks was in high school. Uh, she was trying real hard to impress her big brother. So this movie came at a perfect time. He was a senior. I was a couple years younger. I was always trying to get him to like me, and he was a big comic book nerd. So being able to go to the movies and feel like I was impressing him with my Spidey knowledge was actually a really great bonding experience for us. And also, you'll like this a lot more mark. This was a Fenway Park movie that we saw. Went to the Fenway Park to see the movie, probably got some popcorn. It was pretty great. So yeah, I'll always fondly look back at my first time, but that doesn't affect why I love this movie. It's not just because I look at it with rose-colored glasses and it bonded my relationship with my brother and maybe that's the reason we're still so close today. No, no, it's because of the actual movie itself.
2: Wow. OK, so Roxy saw it Fenway Park, so she had to tangle with villains Sandman, Venom, Hobgoblin, and then also the green monster in left field. So a lot of villains going against Spider-Man up there in Boston. I, I want to ask both y'all, and I'll start with you. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but the movie's still barely fresh, 63%. Is it a fresh or rotten movie to you?
0: No, it is not a fresh movie to me. I think the Washington Post was giving it a softball. Let's be honest. Um, Look, I I do feel um, that the film... It's two ways of looking at it. You could say that the film was having the glory of the other two films to compare it to. And so that means that it was dunked on more for not living up. I'm of the other camp that says it was resting on the past glory of other films and that on its own, it is bad to the point of almost near unwatchable, in my personal opinion. And, and it's really the only reason why we're able to forgive it is it's like, oh, we got the cute moment where we're going to pretend like it's the first movie and they're pulling down his his uh, his uh, mask and she kisses him upside down. Like, like any good feels you get from this movie are just calls backs to past glory. This is the relationship that is only good in a memory.
2: Not right. in reality. <laughs> that is a uh, future correspondent for The Washington Post, Jacqueline Coley. Uh, Roxy Stryer, is this movie fresh or rotten?
3: Jacqueline, you hurt my soul. Like deep in my heart, I feel pain right now. Because this is a very obvious, obvious, fresh movie. Uh, I, I am not crazy. I know there are a couple of flaws, but the feeling that I get watching this movie is an overwhelming feeling of joy. Uh, it brings me such peace and I I love watching what Toby Maguire is able to do in a new version of this. It's different than 1 and it's different than 2. He has more things to play with, but this movie is fresh, it's different. Is it the best movie in the trilogy? No, I'm not saying that, but is it definitely worth a fresh fresh score
2: for sure. One fresh, one rotten. So it is up to me to break the tie. And as of right now, I I can be one over to either side and permanently etch my name next to fresher rotten right now. I think the tomato meter is pretty spot on. I think it is on the very lowest end of fresh for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is that this movie came out in 2007. And while we did have Christopher Nolan's Batman bring us a new, darker, more realistic type of superhero, we still had the fantastical elements of Spider-Man and even going back to what comic book movies looked like in the 90s. So when I look at this movie through a 2020 lens, it feels like the old and the new meshing because I thought a lot of the effects held up better than I remember them? Certainly much better than even Spider-Man 2, which everybody slobbers over. And so I think there was some good. There's a lot crammed in here. It, there's not a lot of likable characters to really root for throughout this movie, but... I did enjoy watching it more than I thought I would. And so when we look at Spider-Man 3 and we compare it to Spider-Man 1 and 2, it's inevitable that that's going to happen because we love these first two movies. I remember when the first two Spider-Mans came out, people were losing their minds. I mean, this was the biggest event film since, for me, maybe Batman 1989 or the Star Wars prequels coming out. So there was so much excitement around there. And, Jacqueline, it's almost like Spider-Man 3 had nowhere to go but down or different when you compare it to still what a lot of critics say is a landmark comic book film with Spider-Man 2.
0: I mean, I agree. I mean, look, I loved um, what Spider-Man 1 and 2 did for comic book movies. Again, as a kid that definitely remembered the fact that like nobody got that there was actual like pieces of paper that these, like, animated shows were based off of. I loved the fact that we could actually get a movie with Doc Ock. Like, we actually could get a movie where we're going to talk about, you know, characters like Venom. Like, of course, I'm, like, so excited about that. And I love that, you know, Spider-Man really sort of gave us the modern-day superhero. But... I don't even know if you can say it's the one and two comparison because it has a lot of the same things. It has that goofiness. I think the the issue was was that they were trying to turn the page with the wrong character. Spider-Man is your neighborhood-friendly, quippy Spider-Man, and that's where Tobey Maguire was great. I think it was going in this darker direction that really did it more of a disservice than the comparisons to 1 and 2. If they would have just stayed a little bit lighter and maybe just given the villains the darkness, because they gave the villains the darkness in 2, Doc Ock is very dark, very singularly focused. I think the the biggest problem is just the fact that they they just tried to do too much. There's too much meat in the Boulia Bays.
2: Yeah, Roxy, and in that bullet base, I don't know that we got to explore any one of those flavors enough in Spider-Man 3 for most critics' taste, and, and even my own taste. And I'm one of the guys saying it's a fresh movie. So when you compare it to Spider-Man 1 and 2, how does it hold up in your world, Rox? Is this the best of the three Spider-Man movies?
3: I don't think that this is necessarily the best, because Spider-Man 2, to me, is in- incredible. It's an incredible film. But for me, this is a completely different genre, almost. Yes, he does go dark, but it's not just because of that. I also feel like with the villains and their stories, I legitimately felt for them. What they do with Sandman's character, it, it did affect me, and I I think that they weren't afraid to go there. They weren't afraid to say, here are our villains, but also they're flawed and individuals. And they're not just bad guys. And we're going to give you reasons why they're doing the things that they're doing. So I love that they do that. Uh, also, i just think that always the cast is great, Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, but this cast is really phenomenal. And at this point, they were really jiving together and even new additions to it really uh, elevated the entire film. I mean, when you look back at this, thinking about the fact that this is a Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Topher Grace, Bryce Dallas Howard. Like what? How? This is crazy. J.K. Simmons, uh, just such incredible performances. Even when the dialogue was lacking, they really were... Were able to bring it home so by the third movie i feel like they were in the swing of things no spidey pun intended and uh, it really showed
2: okay so okay, Ross, can, i was
0: gonna say roxy i will agree with you on sandman i did want to give you this one little nugget and say give it to me all this although this movie <laughs> is a horrible dumpster fire of trash the light little glimmer of beauty is what thomas hayden church does with sandman and i will agree with you on that and Thank you
2: very much. <laughs> those effects are really cool. Like e- even watching it last night again, it, it it's really cool just the way that he's able to control the sand and how the sand comes and goes and it can make him huge. It can make him tiny. I love what the Sandman brought to Spider-Man 3. There's a scene in here that I think we need to have a discussion about because everybody's tuning in. And this is the one that people have their headline about every time anybody brings up Spider-Man 3. I was talking about it with producer Lucy yesterday, who is here, by the way, producer Lucy is is in the building and has some strong opinions on Spider-Man 3 as well. Emo Peter Parker. This is a scene where Peter Parker has gone to the proverbial dark side of the Force. Not because he's a bad guy or he's having some down thoughts. It's because this alien symbiote has gotten into his suit and by proxy gotten into his skull a little bit. He's going through some personal trials that don't help anything. But he's on a date with not Mary Jane. No, no, he's not on a date with her. He's on a date with, as uh, Roxy said, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, Gwen Stacy. And they go to the jazz club where Mary Jane works. And he just does this weird dance sequence that I forgot how long it was. And I forgot how strange it was. But I'm not going to say it's emo Peter Parker because Jacqueline, the man had an alien symbiote attacking him and so i'm gonna forgive him for doing a crazy dance and looking like a young crispin glover in willard
0: isn't that your old girlfriend yeah do you want to go someplace else
1: oh no no i'll i'll be okay now dig on this
0: why is it there why why is it there like you know what honestly though if i really had to say something i think sam raimi should ask uh uh damien chazelle for some royalties because this is that that whole jazz scene is like some weird reverse version of la la land but just darker and with less like care The thing about it is more than even the symbiote with the dancing, what is it about that symbiote that makes every woman in that movie all of a sudden just flood her basement for Peter Parker? Tobey Maguire wasn't that hot as Tobey Maguire in a billion dollar superhero franchise. He is definitely not that hot playing nerdy Peter Parker. That was the most infuriating thing watching this movie was the fact that every woman, especially in that scene, is literally, like, swooning over this dude who basically doesn't know how to use hair gel. Like, that is his most attractive quality. And the fact that he can dance off rhythm to, like, 2000 jazz junk. Ugh. Uh, I can say...
2: As a dude who was in his mid-20s when he saw this movie and a moron, it's it, we, we all watched that and we thought, oh, that's because women like guys who are on the dark side and have a little bit of evil and underlying <laughs> tenacity. To, Roxy, is that why we love <laughs> Emo Peter Parker so much? I mean,
3: gosh. I, thank you for agreeing with me previously, Jacqueline, because I'm about to agree with you here. The <laughs> hair is not a panty peeler. Uh, do not glue your hair to your forehead. forehead. Forehead, gentlemen, ladies, too. Uh, No, no, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that stiff hair on the forehead look. Uh, Woof. This is not a cute look for him. But I do feel like there is purpose with this scene. I won't go as far to say it's my favorite scene, but I do feel like legitimately I can relate. I can relate to that feeling of wanting to make an ex jealous or being the person who feels like the ex is trying to get me jealous. Do we go all of this way to go and play piano and do some weird dance moves? No, but this is what really humanizes Spider-Man is when we see what's happening with Mary Jane as she's on there and and, and looking at him, like what's what's happened to my ex? What has he become? I think we've all had moments like that where you look at somebody and you're like, you're not the person I used to love or no. Who are you? So, yes, did they? Did, was this the most successful version that it could have been? Maybe not, but did it get the point across? Yeah, I got what they were going for, and I can relate to having crappy exes that you feel like you want to punch in the face, and their hair gets a little strange after you break up, for sure.
2: I was rocking mm. this hairstyle for a long time, and just hearing y'all vent about it, it feels like y- y'all are talking about me personally from 2000 to 2010. So thanks for the uh, retroactive makeover. When I look at this movie as, as a whole, I think it moves much better than I remembered it because it's it's a beefy film. It's two hours, 20 minutes, but there's a lot of action in it. It does not hesitate right from the get-go to pick us up. Where Spider-Man 2, upon rewatching it, is a little slower than I remembered it. Spider-Man 3 moves, there's a lot to pack in there, but it does move pretty well. I'm still not sure. If Mary Jane has that scene on the bridge where she breaks up with Peter because she wanted to break up with Peter or because Harry Osborn demanded she break up with Peter. I still don't know what was going through her head at that. And neither does James Franco,
0: because he was very open about the fact that he's like, they didn't know what they were doing. Like this movie took two years to make like you could just stay two children in the time that it took to make this movie. And and it's this. And like, let me tell you, if it took me two years to get two children and they were this, I would rethink parenthood. I would rethink the whole concept, which is what I think Sam Raimi did, in all honesty, after this movie came out as well.
3: Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com/slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
4: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at
3: meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, but speaking of parenthood, can I bring up something that I think is really beautifully done in this movie and again in the trilogy? I am obsessed with Peter and Aunt May's relationship and I love what we see with the two of them with the engagement ring and that kind of being the through line. I mean, there are a couple of different scenes that are really beautiful here, but first when Aunt May decides to give Peter the engagement ring, it's really beautiful. hope you'll
2: make it very special for mary Jane. do something she'll never
1: forget give her this go on take it
0: i love that moment um and, and the, the crappy advice she gives him as well i'm sorry There's- what, wait,
3: what did you think was <laughs> crappy tell me about the crap
0: I just felt like there's no likable characters. They even made me dislike Aunt May because she's ignoring (laughs) the fact that he is really not even listening to Mary Jane's problems. And he's just like, here, just take my ring. It's like the guy that's not like, I don't... Like, she's having a problem and he's not listening to her. Like, if Aunt May was about something, she would be like, y'all need to go to therapy and y'all need to, like, have some couples counseling because y'all are on two opposite sides of the spectrum. But, like, you know, typical... 2000 you know bullshit here a piece of jewelry is gonna make it all right girl okay aunt may aunt may's
3: not watching the movie aunt may doesn't know what's going on she doesn't know what the relationship looks like
0: my point but she's like but give her a ring it'll be all good baby that is what a grandmother or a mother is supposed to do but she's wrong.
2: How many relatives does Aunt May... Aunt May is running out of time and she's running out of relatives to give that ring to Jacqueline. So she's looking at this like, oh God, this might be my last chance to give this ring to someone. This is it. It's do or die. Maybe I don't love Mary Jane. Maybe I'd rather have Gwen Stacy come over for Thanksgiving next year, but I got to get this ring off my books before the big one hits. So I'm getting rid of it. Here you go, Peter. Best of luck. Here's some advice. I don't love everything that Aunt May tells Peter in this where she's like, uh, you know, the hardest thing to do is forgive yourself. It's like, well, no, maybe you do need to get forgiveness from some other people. But I still love the character of Aunt May. Come on. How can you not root for her and have some compassion for that person?
0: I like her. I'm saying this film, with its, like, plethora of unlikable characters, made me question Aunt May. I'm like, is she really the person to be getting advice? Forgive yourself. He should not be forgiving himself. He's a bad boyfriend. He needs to be a better one. Be He's a better not a boyfriend. great boyfriend.
2: He, he really isn't. And a lot of the relationship stuff in this, I, I don't want to say I found it dull, but... I couldn't really root for either one of them as much as I wanted to say that he's way too obsessed with being Spider Man. And every time MJ has some issue, he brings it back to himself. MJ also, like, at some point, you got to give up the dream, okay? When I was a kid, I wanted to be a football player. I don't think it's going to happen, y'all. And I think MJ, did you see her on Broadway? No, no, get the understudy immediately. Roxy, Even as a lover of this movie, you gotta admit, MJ's gotta give up the dream of one day starring on Broadway.
3: I super duper do not have to admit that. That's so, (laughs) so hurtful to hear. Okay, Uh, we all are Hollywood. uh, Well, I don't know if we're Hollywood people, but we all live here, okay? What happens when people get famous? They become big D bags. We've seen it happen time and time again. So, what happens in this film? Yeah, Peter's a jerk of a boyfriend. How many friends do you guys have where they're significant other gets a little bit of fame and then becomes a jerk. That is incredibly realistic. I liked watching him actually go through the steps of being this famous person, but that doesn't mean that she isn't talented. Actually, I was really blown away. I had forgotten how great her voice is as we're watching her on Broadway, and that is her singing herself. I was like, yes, girl, you go get it. I thought she was very talented. And what production, when you have one off night, lets you go, and then doesn't even tell you. So you have to come in and see your understudy. You're the villain of the movie, my friends. You are those casting director, producer, whoever you are. That's mad rude.
2: Yeah. I, I think at least an email or a text would have been a nice heads up as opposed to MJ walking in and discovering someone else on stage. That was a lot of heartbreak. But As we mentioned in this film, it's a lot. There's a lot to take in. And even though it's over two hours, it still feels like we didn't really get to explore as much of the villains as we wanted to. My initial take when I left the theater in 2007 was, man, I've been waiting to see Venom on the big screen my whole life. And I really feel like I got that much Venom. And then Sandman was really cool. And that could have been the main villain of the entire film. But he got the shaft a little bit as well. And then you had this new Goblin character with the Osborns coming back. So... It it felt like there needs to be some blame laid somewhere with this movie just for feeling so overblown and overproduced. Is that the studio's fault or is that Sam Raimi's fault? Because by all intents, I remember hearing that Sam Raimi had an idea for a four Spider-Man movie he wanted to go to. Is this just a case of the studio making a movie by committee, taking it from the director and saying we need this and this and this because we're closing this trilogy out? Roxy, when you go back and watch Spider-Man 3, is this Sam Raimi's fault or is it the studio getting too meddlesome?
3: Sorry for me to say it's somebody's fault when I really love this movie, but I I hear you that it is bloated. This is a bloated movie. We've got three villains, and one of them does not meet our other people until over halfway through the movie. I mean, I don't know. uh, In terms of script structure, this movie is... A little flawed. So I would say that it's definitely not the performer's fault. They did exactly what they needed to do with the script. It might be a little bit of the studio's fault because they're like, all right, we've got one more to go. we got to get in. What's going on with Harry's character? we got to get in Sandman. Let's throw Venom in there. We can do the Dark Peter. It's time for it. That's a lot to try to accomplish in one movie. Uh, so a little bit their fault. And then also I just think that there was... Issues with the script in terms of structurally, there it's hard to find the act breaks in this. It's a little challenging to know what exactly how what they were trying to do flow wise.
2: Yeah, two years in the process, Jacqueline. So, what did go on behind the scenes with this movie getting it to the cinemas? Was it the studio getting their hands and just too many cooks in the kitchen? Was it Sam Raimi having too much power?
0: I mean, well, yes, Th- this is the main thing. And this is why I wanted to lead with the fact that I love me some Tobey Maguire then and still to this uh, Tobey Maguire. I love me some Topher Grace then and still to this day, because essentially it was his fault. Um, Sony was gassed up. I mean, this was like, you know, their big, big hit. And to their point, they knew no matter what they put out, if I'm being really honest, this movie's going to make a ton of money, which it did. And so they really were trying to set up not just the close of this trilogy, because honestly, they didn't think they would be able to afford to get Toby again for another movie. They wanted to set up what they could expand it to. And they threw this that 70s show wrench into it when Topher Grace became available. Because if folks do not remember, Topher Grace was on that 70s show He had had a burgeoning film career, but that he was basically filming over the summer when they were off break. And he decides before the last season of that 70s show that he is going to leave to go pursue acting full time. And then they get Seth Meyers' brother to take over the role of Eric and it became the worst show on television. But my point being is Sony at the time heard that Topher Grace, which is essentially... a a slightly hotter version of uh, Tobey Maguire. (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. He, yeah, he was now available and he was hot. He was on a hit television show. And so they're like, we can get this guy. And by throwing him in, making him play Eddie Brock... What Sam Raimi, I think, had outlined for Sandman didn't fit. And if you look at the film with this eye, look at the film and look at anything related to Eddie Brock and imagine if that wasn't there. And you can kind of see what the movie would have been prior to what ended up happening, which is the studio said, figure out a way to get this guy in the movie and therefore they sacrifice their initial villain. They have to make the Gwen Stacy storyline completely different what they intended. They have to just basically kill the Harry storyline, because if you look at it, um, the reason why James Franco is barely in the movie is essentially probably because they've deleted his character to throw more uh, Eddie Brock in there. And so, yeah, it just, it doesn't make sense if you think about it. And that, that I think is essentially the huge problem with this one. And I think it kind of shows that's why you don't make movies by committee. That's why they feel disjointed. And it's why like Raimi, like pretty much disavowed the film pretty quickly after it came out and kept saying like, I want to do the fourth one so that I can make amends to this. Um, he didn't get to do that, but it's okay. He's going to do the Dr. Strange sequel. And so he'll get to be his fabulous weird self. Uh, And then the Marvel Cinematic Universe rather than the Sony Cinematic
2: Universe. I think much more blame can be laid uh, at the feet of the amazing Spider-Man 2 for having a similar feel to Spider-Man 3 because you had a playbook. And say what you want about Spider-Man 3, you could look at that and at least analyze what its flaws were, that it had too much too soon crammed into one movie and say, hey, let's not do that again. But if you're Spider-Man 3, Roxy, we were coming off of movies that had The huge, bombastic 19 villains in one, because you always have your first superhero movie and then the second one. Then the third one always felt like, okay, this is where we're just getting every villain that you've ever heard of, like Batman Forever or Batman and Robin, God forbid. So I think Spider-Man 3 did this the best that we had seen it to that point back in 2007, where you're just throwing a lot of villains. But I have to admit, I did leave the theater thinking, man, that was that was our one shot to get Venom on the big screen. And I think we just kind of blew it It, going back and looking at it. It's not as bad as I remember it, but I was just so hyped to see Venom that I wanted Venom to have his own movie versus Spider-Man or not have him at all.
3: Well, you manifested that, so good for you, years later. <laughs> <It's my fault. laughs> uh the, the The truth, though, is that it does feel like shots fired at me considering that I love Amazing Spider-Man 2 more than I love life itself. So, the, I mean, it just, I really, truly believe there has never been a bad Spider-Man movie, ever. Um, and as somebody who loves the character and loves the villains that surround Spider-Man. Maybe it is a little fan service-y to be putting in all of these villains in some of these bloated films. But I'm a fan, so service me. I love that. I love seeing uh, what they would look like in real life, in <laughs> in real life, on the big screen. I love seeing live action versions of these characters that I've been imagining my whole life. So I felt like when we got to see Venom, is he the weakest of the three villains? Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of issues with that. And uh, Jacqueline, you just outlined it pretty perfectly why it just was not what they were hoping it would be. But at the same time, it's still cool. It's still cool to see Dark Peter. It's still cool to see Venom on screen. It's still cool to see Topher Grace go from being this, like, guy that I kind of hated to the guy that I really hated. And at no point do you even really like him, you know? Yeah. Uh, you root against him the whole time. And when we have two other villains that we end up at the end of the day rooting for, we needed to have a villain that we're not rooting for at all. And I am not Rooting for Topher Grace for one second in this entire film, not when it comes to getting the girl, not when it comes to the photography situation, not when it comes to him as Venom. At no point am I rooting for him. And that makes him a true villain as opposed to the other ones who were almost like antiheroes at this
2: point. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is the thing that bugs me the most about Venom is that he never stays as Venom. Every time we're about to get a cool close-up of Venom, the symbiote retreats and it reveals Eric Foreman again. And it's like, no, I just want to see Venom go against... Can these two please stay in costume for more than eight seconds at a time?
3: we got to get that FaceTime. We're paying a lot of money for that face. We can't cover it with no symbiotes. Come on. It
2: was like when you go trick-or-treating for Halloween and you go up to the door and you get candy. And then as soon as you get your candy, you take the mask off because it's so hot underneath there. And you're just breathing and you're gasping for air. And then you just collect yourself and go to the next house. You put the mask on, you get the candy. And then you leave again and you never put the mask back on. I want to see Topher Grace getting candy the whole time. Not... Trying to show off his ugly mug. And I can say that because we are doppelgangers.
0: (laughs) I mean, they did the same thing with Will Smith uh, in Deadshot. Like literally Deadshot's whole thing is the fact that he's always in his like, I'm going to kill you mask. But when you're paying Will Smith, Will Smith money, you got to see that face, man. Yeah, well, Will
2: Smith is Mr. Fourth of July. Topher Grace. Is Mr. That 70s show. It's a little bit different. Um, I want to move on. Producer Lucy, feel free to weigh in on this next topic, too, because it is Spider-Man 3. And I love talking about the third and sometimes final chapter in a franchise, because when you think about the great trilogies, usually it ends up being the third movie is my favorite. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I hear they made another one I'm not going to discuss on this show. And Return of the Jedi is my favorite movie of all time. Why? Because we won. Ewoks are really cute. And also, we won. So, Roxy, Spider-Man 3, I know you're a fan of the movie. How do you think it holds up to other third movies in gigantic franchises? Is this the return of the king of the Spider-Man franchise?
3: I think it definitely holds up compared to other third installments, especially in the year of 2020, in which so many third installments are a third and fourth, because there were three books. And what we have to do is break that into a three and four movie. So the third movie is usually pretty skinny. Uh, I think that this... Really did a great job closing out some storylines that we needed closed out. I know we didn't get as much Harry as we wanted, but it did come full circle in a really beautiful moment of bizarro friendship, uh, which I think was great to see. And I feel like we were given hope with Mary Jane and Peter, which we we also needed. So in, in terms of wrapping things out, I think this did a lot better of a job than other trilogies.
2: Okay, Jack, when I set Roxy up with the uh, is this the Return of the King for you? I know you feel differently about this movie. So is it at least better than say Batman Forever? Hmm.
0: <laughs> Batman Forever has Nicole Kidman. I really Batman Forever doesn't no, I no, it it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, I'm putting this more in the like better than X-Men the Last Stand probably definitely worse than batman forever camp look i could string together all the moments in this movie that i found to be great but in a world where we have thor ragnarok and in a world where we can close out trilogy strong i just i'm not feeling that although thor ragnarok is about to be a fourth my point being is that the third film can be great i will put it to you this way it's it's worse than Return. It's worse than Rise of Skywalker. Like, it's it's literally like, it's it's like better than X-Men Last Stand, worse than Rise of Skywalker. And to me, Batman Forever is better than all of it. But that's where I rank it. <sighs> you it's, had me.
2: You had me with Rise of Skywalker until you said Batman Forever is better than Rise of Skywalker.
0: Batman Forever has Nicole Kidman it, and, and Kiss from a Rose on the Grave. Don't... Don't diss on that. And Jim Carrey is Edward Nigma. I'm just saying, like that movie. If we want to go reevaluate that one on the next Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I will be in the Roxy camp. This movie is such trash. And in all honesty, I will never forgive it for making women think Tobey Maguire is hot. Uh,
4: I, I is have to issue. say, as a mom, this is producer Lucy again. Hello, as a mom who has now seen the Shrek movies way too many times. One and two, so good. Number three, a yikes. So, if I were to compare, weirdly, this Shrek trilogy to the Spider-Man trilogy, Spider-Man 3 is a way better family member of the Spider-Man trilogy than Shrek 3 is to the Shrek franchise. So, when it comes to third movie franchise, third installments, I think it fits beautifully. I think it's messy, sure, but... It does kind of tie things up in a nice way, and there's really great moments in it, and Toby gives it his all, and it it's, you know, no, it's not the best one out of the trilogy, but it is, I think, a good end.
2: Jack, when I promise we're not sneaking up on you and piling on you. I had no idea how Lucy felt about the movie, too, but... <laughs> And it's also, Lucy, when you jump in, you don't have to identify yourself if you say as a mom, because it's Roxy and Jacqueline (laughs) and me. And so as soon as you lead with I am a mom, then we know who's talking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody's
0: saying I'm a mom of an animal with four
2: legs. (laughs) Right. Or a stepdad of a dog. stepdad, yeah. In my case. If if I'm looking at this and comparing it to other third movie installations, I think Batman Forever is pretty fair. And and at the end of the day, look, we're all comic book fans and we're all at least of an age where we didn't have these kind of movies coming out all the time when we were little kids. And so I look at Spider-Man 3 as a step in the evolutionary process. It was by no means finished, but I say that Batman Forever or Batman and Robin are movies we can look at and say, Here's what, here's a couple of good things to do. Put Nicole Kidman in the movie, that's a good one. And then there's a lot of bad things that we're doing. And so, how can we improve upon that? And Spider Man 3, I would say, walked so that a movie like Thor Ragnarok or Captain America's Civil War could run. And I don't think that we get the great consistency of quality comic book film entertainment today that we get. Unless we have movies like Spider-Man 3, who we can look at and be fair about it, you know, 13, 14 years after the fact and say this movie brought some joy to a lot of people, but it also had a lot of flaws. So how can we fix that and make better movies out of the gate and not disappoint fans? Venom notwithstanding, I'm sure we're going to do an episode on Venom at some point. So I'll just transition into this. Roxy, I know you love this movie. Can you give me a pivotal scene that we haven't talked about yet that really just envelopes? why you love this movie so much
3: oh thank you for asking me mark there are there are a lot um and i think that i think that one of them that really gets to me is james franco's final scene when he does die i should never have hurt you
2: said those things none of that matters peter you're my friend
3: I know that this is a a more controversial scene because some people thought that it wasn't as earned because they had been fighting for the entire movie. But I think that at the end of the day, if you're a comic book fan, this is exactly what you're rooting for. You're rooting for him to sacrifice himself to save Peter's life. And you know that if there had been a fourth movie, he can't be in it because what is he going to do? Just go on being MJ and Peter's friends? No, he's, he's past the point of no return already. We can't completely get him back. The only thing for him to do at this point is be a martyr and to save his friends, the people who he's considered family this whole time. So I feel like that's really what this genre is all about, uh, is growing as a person. And even if you've made mistakes, doing whatever you can to make it right. And I think that really embodies the rest of this movie and the trilogy.
2: Jacqueline, I'm not going to put you in... The very tough position for you of naming a scene you love in this movie, but I will set you up and say, what's the scene that typifies why this is a rotten movie in your opinion?
0: There, it's several scenes, but I just want everyone to please go back and look at every time Toby McGuire Toby McGuire cries. <laughs> it is some of the worst, most painfully awkward bad acting. There's a scene when MJ and Toby McGuire breaking up and she's like actually acting and like having an emotional moment, even though we have no clue as to why she's really breaking up with him, you can tell that this feels like Kirsten Dunn's playing MJ. And like, Toby Maguire crying? I'm like, he looks partially constipated and pained while like tears streak down his face. <gasps> I can't do this. <laughs> it's over.
2: No, please, please don't say that. I know I've been selfish, but I can do better. I can change. It's not that simple. We love each other. I love you.
0: Like, every time he cries, I just want to laugh. Another great moment, too, is the moment where uh, James Franco, like, tells Tobey Maguire that, you know... I'm, I'm basically banging MJ. She came to me. And then like Toby Maguire walks out after another horrible crying scene. And the waitress is like, do you like the pie? And he's like, so good. Like, what is that? That is nonsensical. That just proves to you that nobody involved in this movie knew what
3: it was doing. That was my least favorite moment of the whole film, I, I will say. And that look, when he looks back out the window, James Franco looks out the window uh, and, and he's looking at Toby and kind of like, was it a wink? He gives this big smile and thing. It's just like, what is, ha- what movie is this? What just happened? That exactly. is a very, very strange scene. I will 100% give you that. Like,
0: what is this? At least when there's nonsensical scenes in the Venom movie with Tom Hardy, you enjoy watching. It Like, there was just no joy watching James Franco be weird and creepy with a pie. There was enjoyment watching Tom Hardy eat raw lobsters.
2: I think that there's great in this movie, and I think that there is decidedly less than quality in this movie. The scene that I really love, and, and, and it shocked me how great it was still, is that battle that takes place between Spider-Man and and Sandman on the streets of New York City in a moving vehicle, the effects, the pace, the way that it jumps around, and you get all these cool different angles, and the sand effects certainly help, and the Spidey effects so much improved from Spider-Man 1 and 2. That scene was so riveting to me, and I'm like, where is this full movie? I don't know if there's a Raimi cut out there. I don't care. I don't care to go back and look at, oh, well, let's see what the director really wanted with four extra minutes of footage, but... There's a lot more good in Spider-Man 3 than I remember just because so many times when we bring up this movie, we talk about how it wasn't as good as the first two or Sam Raimi got bullied by the studio or vice versa or we just talk about emo Peter Parker. So there's a lot of bad in this movie, but there's some really good stuff too.
1: Jigs up, pal. I don't want to
2: hurt you. Leave now.
1: (laughs) I guess you haven't heard. I'm the sheriff around these parts. Okay. Okay.
2: I could literally talk about this movie for days with y'all, and that includes you, the audience. So if you want to catch up on Spider-Man 3, the movie is available right now at Fandango now. So go check it out. And Roxy Stryer, do you have a current streaming recommendation that everyone can check out that might give them the similar tones of a Spider-Man 3 vibe?
3: Okay, so I don't know if it's going to give you similar tones, but if you watched this movie like I did, Kirsten Dunst was a major highlight for you. And I have always thought that she is incredibly talented, but I didn't know how talented she was until I watched this show. You guys know I'm a TV person, so I'm bringing it to television. On Becoming a God in Central Florida is a show that I don't know anybody who's watching. This is a show I have to watch by myself, and not for good reason. It is brilliant, and her performance in this is out of this world. She is a braces-wearing, pyramid-scheme-running, girl in Central Florida, alligator-hunting. I mean, this if you watched this movie and the only thing you liked about it was Kirsten Dunst, then totally fine. Go watch On Becoming a God in Central Florida at the Showtime show, and it is fantastic.
2: Thank you to our esteemed guest, Roxy Stryer, for starting this show off right. You can follow Roxy at Roxy Stryer across all social media platforms. I'm at Mark Ellis Live because Mark Ellis was taken, and I perform live when I'm allowed to. Jacqueline, where can all the kids (laughs) find you?
0: Well, you can find me on every platform at That Jacqueline because I am that girl that talks about movies. But we all want to hear from you, not just on our personal handles, but also about the show. This is our very first episode, so please let us know how we're doing. What did you like? What didn't you like? And email us at rtiswrong at com. We are here for you. We just ask.
2: Please be kind. Oh, yeah, and we're here for you next week. Do you know why, Jacqueline? Do you know what movie we get to talk about next week? Do I need I think to it's shout got it? A- yeah. Yeah. I can't, I'll i wait till next week to actually shout it from the rooftops, but it's Mortal Kombat.
0: Yeah. I can hear the music. I can hear Woo. the music just as you say that, you know, the dun, 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 dun.
2: can I tell you something just between us and everybody listening right now? I um, played that on my morning workout this morning.
0: <laughs> I know you are rocking jock jams no matter what year it is, even in 2020. And I love you for it.
2: Oh, I'm so pumped up to talk Mortal Kombat. That is going to be our episode next week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our debut. For the wonderful Jacqueline Coley and the amazing Roxy Stryer, I am Mark Ellis. Thanks for tuning in today. We're all better criers than Tobey Maguire. One, two, three, four.